Hi, it's Brad Staggs here from The Blaze TV. Month after month, year after year, I wasted so much money on my home phone service until I started using Broadvoice. Broadvoice is an internet phone service that replaces your traditional landline and saves you a ton of money every month. It is so simple to use. Just plug their equipment into your computer or router, connect your phone, and in just minutes, you're all set. You can even keep your current phone number and add a second line at no additional charge. It's like getting a second phone line for free. The call quality is so good, we use Broadvoice in our studios at Blaze Radio. Get your first three months free, and then it's only $9.95 after that at Broadvoice.com. That's just $9.95 for unlimited calling in the U.S. and Canada. And if you have a small business, Broadvoice not only saves you money, Broadvoice has tons of features that will make your small business more efficient. Go to Broadvoice.com and pick the plan that's best for you. That's Broadvoice.com. It is Pat Skip. Triple eight seven two seven Beck. Eight 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 seven two seven B E C K. I heard on a local uh, Dallas station today that Ted Cruz has raised fourteen million dollars. That's one third of what Hillary Clinton has raised. She has raised three times as much as Ted Cruz. And they were saying it just like that. What a dumb point. That's stupid. Because even if you want to, you can't compare. She's in a field essentially of yeah, one, right. maybe one and a half. So ridiculous. Where this is a field of 16. It's a field of 16 candidates. Right. The money's being divided up. Right. Actually, I mean, I was actually pretty impressed by his. He did 10 million this quarter, 4 million the first uh, And that's first just quarter. his campaign, right? And that's just his campaign. The big mm. issue that they were bringing up, the campaign was bringing up, was the super PAC money. Which is a lot. Yeah, they're saying a fifty-one million dollars. Is that uh, in three does that months. include the campaign money, or is that all by yes, itself? It does include okay, the campaign so, money. Okay, so so Cruz so far, Cruz and, and his packs have raised fifty-one million. I mean that. It's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah, maybe. in a field of sixteen. Jeez, <laughs> that's pretty darn good. Now yeah. it's not going to be as much as Hillary Clinton. First of all, she's a much wider known commodity. Mm -hmm. She, as you mentioned, has. No serious competitor yet. No. Uh, so, I mean, come on. It, it's, I, I think that's quite an accomplishment. Although I noticed you've been <laughs> ignoring the big story. Which is? That Jim Webb is officially in the race for Democrats. <laughs> I, was trying to get, I was trying to get by with you, that. You were hoping people to, would yeah, know hoping, about it so they wouldn't donate hoping, money. I was hoping you wouldn't notice. Jeez. I caught you again. Uh, <laughs> I caught you again. You did. You did. So, Playing partisan politics <laughs> once again. Yeah, once again. Trying to keep Jim Webb down. So typical. Because people are going to love him. Yeah. They're going to eat him up. I read They're going to eat up his campaign. And I read an article about the Jim <laughs> Webb campaign launching, by the way. We're going to get to some Ted Cruz here in just a second. Was it huge? It was huge. It was, it was, the point of it was that Jim Webb is trying to find a Democratic Party that no longer exists. And the point it's is true. that he's he was seen as a centrist, a moderate yep. uh, Democrat, and just there's just no love for them anymore. There's no They're place. gone. There's no like, place. He was a Clinton era, Hill, uh, Bill Clinton era Democrat. Mm -hmm. He was in the he served, I guess, in the Reagan administration, some um, uh, some Secretary of the Navy or something like that. Um, and he was uh, turned Democrat, but a moderate Democrat. He was seen as sort of a centrist senator. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's just no love for those guys anymore. You can't yeah. do that anymore. There's, there's no room for you in the Democrat Party because they're legitimately falling in love with an actual socialist and one who's just hiding it. Yeah. That's where they are. It's pretty uh, frightening. Yeah. Uh, one hope uh, for the Republican side is Ted Cruz. I think he's one of the best candidates uh, out there. 
I'm not, you know, I haven't agreed with every position uh, lately, um, and I don't understand his defense of Donald Trump. I don't know if Glenn got into that uh, with him in this interview. I think it had happened after this interview actually uh, occurred uh, late last week. But uh, we wanted to bring to you a, a big chunk of this because uh, Ted Cruz is one of the guys, I think, mm -hmm. our audience. He finishes first in our poll pretty much every month, um, and that may very well continue as we uh, will do the poll again this week. Uh, but here's Glenn with Ted Cruz. Yeah, I want people to uh, read your book and I want people to know who you are. So I want to start with your dad, that picture that we showed just a minute ago of your dad, yeah. his mugshot. Yeah. Um, he wanted to fight with Castro. Mm -hmm. Tell me about that. Well, he did. And, and as you noted, I mean, like Dreams from Our Fathers, this is very much telling my journey and my family's journey. Every one of us were a product of our family's right. journey. And so it starts with my great-grandparents coming to Cuba from the Canary Islands. And, and my grandfather, uh, as a teenager when his father died, uh, growing up on a sugar plantation and, and, and trapped, basically, in indentured servitude. When he's a teenager, a bus comes by offering people $5 and a sandwich to come to a political rally. My grandfather gets on that bus, takes the $5 and the sandwich, and never comes back. And he goes to Matanzas, a city, city on the beach, and goes to work at a fruit stand, sleeps on the floor in the fruit stand because he has no money, in time saves up enough money to buy the fruit stand, which in the years that come, he expands into a grocery store. And then it tells the story of my dad, and in many ways, growing up in an idyllic youth in, in Cuba, going to baseball games with his dad, going fishing. You know, it's interesting, they didn't use a fishing rod, they'd use a monofilament, basically just fishing line wrapped around a stick. And so when you caught a fish, it would cut you. And a Cuban fish story, he and his dad would show off the cuts. The bigger a cut you had, the bigger the fish, fish was. But when he was a teenager, when he was 14, 15 years old, he became involved in the Cuban Revolution. And, and the revolution... Against his father's... Uh... You know, my grandfather knew about it. Uh, he wasn't terribly thrilled with it, but he didn't, didn't actively oppose it. Because Batista, who was the dictator at the time, was cruel, he was corrupt, he was basically in bed with the mob. You know, you think about uh, the Godfather movies yeah. with, you know, Michael Corleone right, right, right. In, in bed with Batista. There's a lot of truth to that. Right. And the rev revolution in Cuba, it started with kids. It started in the student councils and high schools and colleges. And my dad spent several years fighting in the revolution that picture you put up there is when he was 17. When he was 17, Batista's army captured him and, and threw him in an army garrison in a prison and, and tortured him. And every few hours, soldiers would come in with billy clubs and, and beat him. They broke his nose, and that picture, his nose is broken. They shattered his teeth. Uh, you know, my grandmother told me when, when she saw him when he got out of that, that prison that his Every stitch of clothes he was wearing was covered with mud and blood and grime. And when he was in that, that hole of a prison, he didn't know if he would live or die. And, and he told me, he remembered thinking, he, he said, you know, I don't have any kids. No family depends on me. It doesn't matter if I live or die. Right. And, and yet, thank God, God had a different plan for him. So he, he fights... What changes? Well, once they caught him and knew who he was, they let him go. But they had uh, secret police 
tailing him. The reason they let him out of prison is they figured he would lead, lead them, them to others in the underground. So Castro had gone to the mountains at that point. And my dad wanted to go to the mountains and join Castro, but there was no way to get to him, particularly with the secret police following him. And, and so my grandfather said, look, you, you got to get out of the country. They know who you are. They're just going to kill you now. And so my dad applied to several universities. He applied to University of Miami, LSU, and University of Texas. And UT let him in. So it was 1957. I talk about in the book how he got on a ferry boat coming across to the Florida Keys. And, you know, he was embracing his mom and dad. He was embracing his sister, my tia Sonia. And he was scared. He was leaving his home. He didn't know if he'd ever see his family again. But he was filled with the hopes and dreams of coming to the new world. And, and that... So he wasn't a socialist. He just wanted the dictator to stop. Right, right. And as my dad describes it, the revolution were a bunch of 14-year-old kids, kids who didn't yeah. know any better. They right. didn't know that Castro was a communist. Useful idiots. Yeah. yeah. And, and when Castro took over... My aunt, my Tia Sonia, who I, my nickname for her is my Tia Loca, which is Spanish for crazy aunt, uh, she was still there. And, and she fought in the counter-revolution. She burned down sugarcane fields against Castro. She fled to the mountains. And she and her two best friends, they, they were thrown in prison. And they were tortured. And, and, and it... Uh, my dad went back to Cuba after Castro had taken over. He was horrified by what he saw. And, you know, one of the things that really struck me is, you know, when my father came to Texas, he was 18, he couldn't speak English. His first job was washing dishes, making 50 cents an hour. But he learned to speak English very, very quickly, and he began speaking at rotary clubs. And speaking about Castro, this would be 1958, before the revolution, and praising Castro, well... When he went back after the revolution, when he saw what Castro had done, my father sat down, he made a list of every place he'd gone to speak. And he went back in front of them and he stood up and he apologized. He said, listen, I misled you. I encouraged you to support evil ends. He said, I didn't do so knowingly, but I did so nonetheless. That's what, I was struck by that part of the story in the book, that, that he felt so strongly. I mean, a lot of people just move on. But he felt so strongly, he wrote letters to say, I'm sorry. It, 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 Do you think he still carries that around? You know, I don't know. I think he feels he's made amends and he has spoken out. But he felt he had an obligation to go and look the people in the eye and, and to admit his mistake. And, and that was something, as a kid growing up, you know, I, I was visiting with, with a reporter from a mainstream media publication this week who, who was asking basically, why do you feel obligated to follow through on your campaign commitments, even though in Washington you get slammed by Democrats, by Republicans, right, by the media? And I actually relayed this story and said, look, I heard this story over and over and over again at the dinner table from when I was three, four, five years old, that... Honoring your promises, standing up for what's right, even when there's a cost. Uh, you know, that has been, that was my father's journey. It was my mother's journey. You know, my mother, my poor mom, she gets a short shrift in, in this. I tell my dad's story all the time. My mom says, what, were you raised by wolves? Did you have a mother? But, but you know, my, my mom grew up in an Irish-Italian household. 
working class household in Wilmington, Delaware. Her mom was the second youngest of 17 kids. Jeez. I, you know, as I joke, they were Irish Catholic. They didn't know what else to do on a Saturday well, night. Oh, man. <laughs> 17. Could Grandma even move anymore? Yeah. Well, you know, her uncle actually ran the numbers in Wilmington. He was a mobster. Uh, and, and her grandmother wow. used to carry the numbers in soup pots. They'd take two soup pots and nest them. She'd have soup in the inner one, and in between the pots, she'd have all the numbers, and she would carry them for the mob. But no one in the family had ever gone to college. And my mom stood up to, to her father. My grandfather uh, was an alcoholic, and, 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 and he could be a mean drunk. He didn't think there was any need for his daughter to go to college. And my mom stood up to her dad. And she ended up going to Rice and majoring in math and becoming a computer programmer at Shell in the 1950s. And, and it's something, in this book, I try to chronicle those stories of standing up for principle when there's a price to be paid. So you could really, just based on these two stories, you could go either way. You could either be a revolutionary for good, or you could fall in with the mob in Washington <laughs> and run the numbers. Um, uh, is does your father's uh, cry against injustice? I mean, when he speaks, man, you just know. I mean, it, yeah, honestly, yeah. Ted, that's why I believed in you. I had I, it carried me over because I watched your father speak, and I thought, this guy, it's the real deal. He feels it to his soul. Yes, yes. He had to have drilled it yeah. into you. Is that where this comes from? It, it is from the heart, and, and it is growing up as the child of someone who fled oppression. There was always an urgency to politics in our house. It wasn't just you read it in the paper and, oh, that's interesting. It was having principled men and women in office is how you protect yourself from tyranny. You know, my cousin, Bibi, who is the daughter of, of my Thea Sonia, Bibi and I are very, very close. She's five years older than I am. And the two of us together, I mean, we grew up hearing stories of our parents right. imprisoned and tortured. Uh, now, I have to admit, in a Cuban household... That's crazy. The, the, in a Cuban household, there were typically two parties, Republicans and the Communists. <laughs> and that's only slightly tongue-in-cheek. I'm sure the New York Times will have a field day with my saying right. that. But, but it's, So you're it, right at home in Washington. Uh, well, it, it, uh, you, know, you know, I joke sometimes that... that, that uh, in the Democratic Party, they have a lot of ideological diversity. They have right. the Bolsheviks and the Mensheviks. Right. right. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, look, when you've seen in your family freedom stripped away, it's not abstract. It's not theoretical. It's real and personal. You understand that, that freedom is fragile. And the history of humanity, the, the condition of mankind, has been predominantly a condition of oppression and a lack of liberty, the strong oppressing the weak, and this brief moment, this miracle that is the United States of America is an exception from the annals of history. Do you think that your father, and I'm not going to ask you about, you know, your father um, above your dad, um, but in looking at you from afar, and I don't even know if this is true, do you ever use the word um? Occasionally, but actually when I was a teenager and, and I was practicing public speaking and I would practice in front of my father, as you know, my father's a preacher and he's 
a wonderfully talented speaker. He's amazing. A and when I would get up and say, um, or ah, uh, look, my dad could be pretty tough. And he'd go, um, ah, uh, what do you want to sound like a cow? Moo. Right. And it, you know, 13, 14, 15 years old, it, it would uh, beat its way into Right. You. So did, did he, do you think he, in some way or another, prepared you for this? Do you feel like you've been raised up one way or another for this time at and this position he certainly raised me with a passion for freedom with an understanding that it is fragile and if it is not protected as reagan said it's not passed down in the bloodstream from one generation to the next every generation has to step up and defend it and then one of the things that both my parents encouraged me to do it when i was in high school is i got involved in a group called the free enterprise institute which which had high school students study free market economics in the Constitution, and I traveled the state of Texas speaking about free market economics in the Constitution. How old so, you? Started when I was 13. And, and so, you know, it's... You are, most people don't know this. You are a world, literally, world champion debater. I, I, I spent a lot of time in college no, no, debate. No. That's and, a yes or no question. I, I actually did not win the world championships. I, okay, I, but I was, you went to I, the world, I, right? I, I did and comp competed well and, okay. and spent a lot and of there time is a, there, Isn't there a, uh, an award named after you at Princeton uh, or a scholarship? Um, um, th 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 there is. There is, okay. I'm only saying that because <laughs> that kind of makes me tingly inside. We haven't had a good debater for the Republicans in I don't know how long. It's always been like, oh, dear God, please. Uh, look, we are timid and mealy-mouthed and afraid. And, and you see Republicans when, they, when they're interviewed by, by left-wing reporters, and they get afraid. They want them to like them. Mm -hmm. They are not going to like us. They hate us. <laughs> I, I'll tell you a funny story. A, a young staffer in my office was commenting about a particular reporter saying, oh, she's really, really nice. And I actually stopped him and I said, you know what? No, she's not. She wants to destroy you. Nothing would make her happier than to take your life and fillet you on the front pages. And don't think for a minute because she smiles and is friendly to you that it's anything else. And, and, Isn't that pretty cynical? Uh, it, it is, but 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 to understand, listen. I mean, I agree with you 100%. Okay. I just wanted to push back. To, I mean, it's a little cynical. It, you, you, before we started filming, you were telling me about your ranch in Idaho, and you were telling me about the sheep, and the yes. coyotes ate the sheep. Yes. You know what? When the sheep are walking among coyotes, it pays to be cynical. Yeah. The job of the mainstream media is they see it. They are partisans. They are protecting Barack Obama, and they are ready for Hillary. And so what we need to do when we deal with the media is speak the truth, but do it with a smile. You know, Margaret Thatcher said, first you win the argument, then you win the vote. We've, the last several elections, we haven't won the argument. We haven't even made the argument. Yeah, I was saying, we don't make the argument.
Are you tired of commuting to a job that makes someone else rich? Working harder than ever, but getting nowhere? With our opportunities, you can start earning money as soon as next week. You get to be the boss, work from home, and live a happier life. Go to Freedom350.com right now and change your life today. That's Freedom, the number, 350.com, and start earning money as soon as next week. You be the boss. Go to Freedom350.com.